Our reading this morning is from the Gospel of John. We're reading from chapter 4, the first 14 verses, and then from chapter 19, from verse 28. Uh, Chapter 4 is found on page 1066 in the Church Bibles. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And then chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, They will look upon the one they have pierced. Thanks be to God for his true and living word.
Well, I'm sure we all know what it's like to be thirsty, whether it's a little dry mouth like I uh, may have as I stand up here now to speak, excuse me, or a raging, intense thirst. I remember one occasion when we were living out in Brazil, in Rio, and we had a friend visiting with us, and we took them out for the day, and um, we had quite sort of spontaneously decided to go for a little walk, um, just a little way up the hill. Um, we weren't prepared for it, we so we weren't going to go far. After all, I had Ben, who was very young at the time, on my back, on a backpack, um, so we weren't going to go far. But I don't know whether you're walkers, you know what it's like when you start walking, um, especially when you walk up hills, you know, you start to get the views, and you think, well, if you just go a little bit further, the view will be even better. And so you keep going, and you keep going, and then you sort of see the top in the distance, and you think, well, actually, we can make it to the top now, we've got this far, let's keep on going. And so you go on. And on, and the top actually is not quite as close as you thought it was, um, but you've got even closer, so you have to keep going. And anyway, we eventually arrived at the top in the midday sun, gasping for a drink. And of course, the only drink we had with us was Ben's little baby drinking cup <laughs> with a bit of water in it. Fortunately, Brazilians are very uh, child-friendly. They took pity on, uh, on Ben. LAUGHTER uh, for his uh, totally irresponsible parents, and uh, gave him a, a chocolate milk drink. Uh, and so the rest of us sipped um, slightly guiltily out of Ben's uh, water cup. <laughs> the saying on the cross that we're looking at this morning in our sermon series, in Greek, is just one word of four letters. It says dipso, which means I thirst. Or I am thirsty. I don't know about you, but when you read these words, I wonder if you ask yourself, why did he say that on the cross? Why did he utter these words? Was it simply to say, I'm thirsty, give me a drink? Or was there more to it than that? What actually is going on here? Well, I think there are three implications that are worth looking at this morning from this, this saying of Jesus. And as we consider them, hopefully the supper that we'll be taking part in this morning as part of this service will take on even more significance for us. The first thing I want to mention that it shows us here, the, this word of Jesus, is that he is fully human. You know, many may question that Jesus uh, is truly God, but there are also many over the course of history who have questions whether Jesus was truly man, or actually whether maybe he was just God who was appearing to be a man. He wasn't really a man, he was just taking on the appearance of a man. The Bible tells us that in the incarnation, Jesus took on human flesh. You know, John's Gospel, that uh, we've just read this passage from, right at the, the outset, uh, says in the beginning was the Word, the Word being, being the Son. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But it goes on to say that the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, among people, among human beings. So to Jesus' divine nature was added a human nature. He was still the same person, he was one person, but he now had two natures. I don't know how many of you have seen the, uh, the film Avatar, the, uh, apparently the biggest box of a success of all time. Uh, amazing special effects, um, great 3D experience. But I mention it because there's a certain sort of illustration, a certain similarity with what's going on. The film is set in the future. Uh, it's on another planet, in case you don't know the plot. Um, a planet which has huge mineral reserves, but they happen to be underneath this settlement 
of uh, the natives from that planet. So the humans uh, create the sort of bodies of the natives and uh, they're able to operate these, these bodies by a, a mental link. You have to bear with it, it's all very sci-fi. Um, so the humans who operate these bodies are able to enter into the world of these natives. Um, and one of them is allowed by the tribe to, to experience everything they do, to learn their ways, to pass all the initiation tests, um, and ends up experiencing everything that a native would experience. And I won't spoil the ending for you. But Jesus himself was fully human. He, that meant that whilst he remained holy, whilst he remained sinless, he shared in the weaknesses of human nature. He was born a baby with all the frailty of a, 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 a baby. Uh, he grew up a child. He ate, he drank, became tired. He slept. He felt pain. He wept. He suffered and he died. And all experiences that we have experienced or will experience at some time. And as a human, it's not surprising that here, after six hours of hanging on the cross with the life draining out of him, with exhaustion taking over, he cries out in agony, I thirst. It shows just how real and just how intense his physical suffering was as it reached its climax on the cross. Jesus went through the ultimate human experience. He went through death on our behalf to demonstrate his love for us. Had he not been truly man, he couldn't have hung there on the cross and represented the whole of humanity. He couldn't have been a substitute for us if he were just God appearing as a man. He became one of us forever so that we can trust him, so that we can, in the words of Hebrews 4, we can come to his throne of grace as one who has experienced what we have. He knows the pain we suffer. He knows the burdens we carry. He wants to give us the grace to endure. Had he not been fully man, he couldn't have sympathised with us in our human weaknesses. I mean, ourselves, don't we? When we've experienced a, a particular form of suffering, it enables us to, to sympathise with those who are going through the same suffering. And to know yourself, if you are going through suffering, to know someone else who's gone through the same thing as you have, knows that when they, they offer you sympathy, they know what you're going through. And these are not just empty words. These are not just platitudes. This is real compassion. I'm sure many of you here this morning are going through difficult times. Much of it caused by something totally outside your control. And if we thought that God didn't understand, if we thought that he didn't care, then we'd be wasting our time here this morning. But he does care. And he's shown that he cares by entering into our world, becoming one of us, and dying for us on the cross. But by now you're probably thinking, well, hold on, if him saying I'm thirsty was just expressing his humanity, what about when he was, was whipped, when he was mocked, when he was put up on the, the cross, he had the crown of thorns thrust into his head, he had nails banged through his hands, his feet. Why didn't he cry out in pain then? What about when he arrived there at Golgotha, as it says uh, in one of the other Gospels, he was offered wine at that stage. Why then didn't he take that drink? Well, the answer is there's something that's far more significant that's going on in this passage 
Have a look down at um, verse 28 there of John 19, which is where this saying comes from. It starts with the words, Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Those words, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. It's a phrase we see throughout uh, this chapter. Look at down at verse 24 where it talks about the soldiers dividing Jesus' clothes. It says this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And in verse 36, after the soldiers decided not to break Jesus' legs, which is what they would normally do, and instead pierced his side with a spear. It says in verse 36, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. And you could go on and on. There are apparently more than 20 references to scripture being fulfilled in the four gospels with these words. To fulfill scripture was to fulfill the will of the Father. And Jesus knew what that that involved. He knew what the consequences of that meant. He knew from Psalm 69 that he would have to say these words. He would know that he'd feel them himself when he says, I'm worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. He knew from Psalm 22 that he would have to say, my strength is dried up like a pot's herd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And even knowing that he would have to endure all that, even having the ability to avoid that, to avoid the possibility of arrest and death, he still willingly went through it. And as Peter drew his sword to protect him when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? He's saying, that is what I came for. That is what I'm here so that you don't need to drink that cup. And what these references to the fulfilment of Scripture are showing are that these are not random events. These are all happening because God ordained that they would happen. And Jesus ensured that they would happen just as his Father had ordained. He remained in control throughout. That earlier drink that was offered was meant to be uh, a sedative, an early day painkiller. But Jesus declined it at that point. He didn't want his senses to be dulled. He wanted to remain in control. But but now, as he cries out, I'm thirsty. As a sponge is soaked in wine vinegar and put on a stalk with a hyssop plant and reached out to him, he knows that in taking that drink, it's not to quench his thirst, it's not to dull his senses, but it's in order to fulfill the psalm that says, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar. For my thirst. It's the prelude to the last words that he utters, which we'll look at next week, when he says, It is finished. Jesus was obedient to death. He longed to fulfill the scriptures. He longed to be obedient to his Father. And whilst we can ourselves never hope to be perfectly obedient, we too have the scriptures to know the will of God, to try and be obedient in our everyday lives with God's help. So these words, I thirst, they tell us something about Jesus' humanity. 
They tell us about his perfect obedience to his father so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But there's also something much deeper here being expressed by these words. And in order to see that, we just need to turn back to the passage from John 4 that um, Ken and Val read out for us earlier. In this episode, Jesus comes to a well on his own without the disciples and totally against the political correctness of the time, he asks a Samaritan woman for a drink. And he says to the woman there, and look at verse 13. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the, drink, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman doesn't at this stage quite understand what's going on. Um, I think uh, she thinks that he's going to somehow provide an underground pipe into her home so she won't have to keep coming back to the well. But of course, what he's talking about is not a physical thirst, it's a spiritual thirst. And that is a concept which is used throughout the Bible. Um, Those words we read out right at the beginning of the service from Psalm 42. We said, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When we talk about a thirst for something, it's it's meant in the context of a deep longing for something, isn't it? And maybe something that is good. Maybe like a thirst for, for knowledge, a thirst for adventure. Or it may be something that is... It was quite evil. You know, a thirst for, for power. A thirst for revenge. Something that's come up recently with the news that one of the boys who was found guilty of murdering James Bolger has been rearrested. It's reopened wounds. It's provoked people to call for justice. People who were not satisfied with the original punishment that they were given. I was reading this article in The Guardian. Not that I normally read The Guardian. It says Helen would be uh, pleased to know. The killing of a two-year-old child by two troubled ten-year-olds was terrible. As disturbing was the reaction of far too many adults. Tried as child A and child B, Robert Thompson and John Venables were hounded by adults every day as they entered the court. What exactly would those hammering on the side of their transport vans have done had they managed to get to them? Strung them up from the nearest lamppost? Where were the justice have been in that. What is common about everything we thirst for is that we thirst for things that we think will provide lasting satisfaction, but they, they never do. You know, even if um, these two boys had received the punishment people thought they deserved, would it have made it okay? Well, no. It wouldn't have brought back that, that little boy. And even when we thirst for something that's good, you know, like a, a loving relationship, we still end up disappointed because however good it may be, it doesn't satisfy a deeper need in each one of us. And that need is to know that when we die, that that's not the end. This this life here was not just a blip. It wasn't just a, a waste of time. It's not all that there is. There is something else. It's not the end the beginning of an eternity spent with God. 
in a perfect relationship. And it's that perfect relationship between the Son and the Father that has been broken on the cross. That causes Jesus to cry out in this way and in the words that we looked at last week when Jeff was preaching on my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is happening on the cross as Jesus utters these words is not just a human thirst, not just a fulfilment of the scriptures, it is a thirst for his Father. The problem for Jesus was that having from eternity always been with the Father, there had never been a time when they were apart. Even when Jesus gave up his heavenly glory and came down to be among us, to dwell with us, he still maintained an intimacy with the Father. There's such a unity, such a oneness. And it's that unity that makes this separation so painful. The pain of separation tends to be all the more severe depending how well, how long you have known someone. And in the case of the Son, now to be separated from the Father, the pain was even more severe. He's yearning for him with an incredible thirst. But to take the punishment for the sins of mankind, which is what Jesus did on the cross, to bear the Father's wrath is to be separated from him. And it's a terrible separation. I don't know whether any of you have seen the film Sophie's Choice, a bit of an old film now, but uh, there's that terrible scene when she gets off the train at Auschwitz with her two children and she's told that one can live and one will have to die. You choose. And she can't choose. And uh, so the Nazi officer is about to say, well, I'll take both of them away, then they'll both die. And so she grabs one of them. And she says, anguish as the other one is taken away. But Jesus was prepared to go through this terrible suffering, this thirsting for the Father so that we wouldn't need to. He became separated from the Father in order that we can be reconciled to the Father. It's because he was prepared to suffer that terrible thirst for us that we need not be thirsty, that our spiritual thirst is quenched for all eternity. He knew the agony of being separated from the Father. He knew that that's the eternal agony that people will experience if they reject God. Let's just turn to Luke 16, if you could. Page 1051. What we have here is a depiction of hell as a place of thirst. Jesus is telling here a parable of a rich man and Lazarus. It says, verse 22, The time came when the beggar, that's Lazarus, died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there 
to us. That thirst that the rich man is experiencing is the eternal thirst of being excluded from God's presence, for being separated from him. It's the thirst of never being satisfied. But the good news is that Jesus doesn't want us to remain thirsty. Jesus knew the heart of the woman at the well. He knew that she had tried to find satisfaction in relationships, that she'd been married five times and was living with somebody who wasn't her husband. He says that to her. And he longed that she would drink from him, from the source of living water. John 7, it says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. He knows where your heart is. He knows where you're trying to find satisfaction. He knows when it's not in him. He knows when you're trying to quench your thirst with the wrong things. He, and he's grieving over you if that is the case. He longs for you to drink from the source of eternal life. He knows if you've already given your heart to him. But maybe you're being pulled in different directions. Maybe you're being enticed away again to be quenched with other things. And he's saying resist them. The last invitation in the Bible, in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, says the spirit and the bride say come. And let him who hears say come. Whoever is thirsty... Let him come and over wishes, let him take the gift of the water of life.